How you doing? This is Quincy McKnight, and you listen to Left Coast Pirates. Haul in. Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It's February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, all you lovers out there. Well, thank God you said everybody else out there because I'm not accepting any Valentine's Day wishes from you. <laughs> this is not happening. It's not going down on this show. This is strictly basketball from my perspective, Tommy. You know, Mike, the bye weeks drive me crazy. It's been eight days since we had a basketball game. I'm gnawing on my fingers waiting for the game. And this is what we get. All right, slow down, slow down. We are podcasting without your typical 24-hour recovery window. So tone it down, take a deep breath. I'm in a bad place right now, Mike. Thank goodness we won, Uh, but I'm still in a bad place. I'll I'll do the intro then, all right? So, So, Tom, prior to last year's game at Marquette, I said I wanted the team for once for once to play a full 40 minutes and give me that Picasso. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. That was a good game. And then they actually did, right? right yeah, they, they, play, right. they played a spectacular game. And it was similar to kind of what we got to see at Xavier this year. And But you know what today was? Today is like when you have that like four-year-old that draws you a picture of the family in nursery school. And you have everyone with like different colors, shapes, and sizes. And you're basically happy that, you know, as dad – you're not depicted as some fat blob that overtakes the entire page. Right. And then your child presents it to you and says, see, this is our family. Isn't it pretty? And and then your job is to just like grin and joyfully exclaim. Yes, sweetheart. It's beautiful. Meanwhile, you're kind of, you're waiting for that first opportunity to take that thing and just put it right in the trash because even finger art is more attractive on the refrigerator than oh, that. Mike, you got to put it up on the tack board. Come on, man. Uh, but Tom, t- today's game was exactly that. Say a couple nice things in the locker room. And then when the pirates aren't looking, Kevin should rip up the stat sheet, burn the game film and just move on to the next one and be happy. They got a W when they absolutely needed to put one in the wing column. Absolutely. We definitely needed it. Mike, I'm not doing this recap. No, I'm sorry. There's nothing to recap in this game. It was a whole lot of ugly. You're going to make me do this. You can make me take off the whole podcast today. Come on, Tom. Fine. It was sloppy. It was sloppy, but roll with it, man. Roll with it. Well, but you know, we do have some good news this week on the podcast. We will review the Seton Hall win against Marquette. We will talk to recent graduate Quincy McKnight about what he's doing these days. We will then talk about the pandemic pandemonium. Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post takes us behind enemy lines for the upcoming Georgetown game. 
and I guess we're gonna have to preview the Paul as well. But first, Seton Hall 57, Marquette 51. The game was sloppy, and that was the theme of the day. Plenty of turnovers to start, kept it at 10-10 after eight minutes of play. Then Seton Hall created some breathing room with a 7-0 run. But there wasn't much else to talk about as the Hall took a 26-20 lead into the locker room. But Jared Roden woke up in the second half, and a 7-2 run gave the Hall their largest largest lead of the game at 11 but oh and one play by Theo John closed the gap to four and then it was back and forth from there till the end Marquette cut it to two under a minute to play but a block call went the way of the Pirates and Shavar Reynolds calmly made both ends of the one and one to keep the Golden Eagles at bay See, was that so hard to do? Oh, it was you made, brutal. Come on. You made it through it, just like the Pirates made it through the game. <laughs> Grin and bear it, Tommy. Grin and bear it. All right. Uh, stats. Uh, Jared Roden, as you mentioned, stepped up in the second half, and his final tally was 20 points, seven rebounds, and four assists. Sandro had a double-double with 11 points and 10 boards, and Shavar Reynolds chipped in with 10 points, three assists, and three rebounds as well. For Marquette on the Golden Eagle score sheet, DJ Carton had 16 points. Theo John, 14 and seven boards. And Kobe McEwen was one rebound shy of a double-double himself, 11 and nine. But collectively, Tom, these stats are just not pretty, man. First half, 19 total baskets, 18 total turnovers. And they shot three of 20 combined from three. For the game, they combined to shoot 33%. And the three-point shooting did not improve. Marquette, 3 of 25 from the game for 12%. Seton Hall, 4 of 15 for 27%. Turnovers, Seton Hall, 15. Marquette, 11. I guess a saving grace for the Golden Eagles is they only had three in the second half. But they also only had three assists for the entire game. How do you only have three assists for an entire ball game? When you're not making baskets, Mike, it's not hard. All right, turning point. I'm not 100% sure on this one. I'm going to go with that block charge call in the final minute where Shavar brings it across half court. You know, if it goes down as a charge in that moment, it's Shavar's fifth foul. Marquette has Seton Hall on its heels, and two starters are fouled out of the game. Ike had just fouled out earlier in a couple of uh, possessions prior. So maybe Marquette ties the game and they go to overtime, and Seton Hall is playing completely shorthanded. But instead... The call goes Seton Hall's way, as you mentioned in your recap. They go to the free throw line, and they hang on for the victory. We usually start off with our blue tinted glasses here. I, I I don't even want to talk about it. Like, go ahead. Talk about what you think is is something that the Pirates did well today. It was positive. I mean, it, it, look, it's, it's a W. Let, let's just start off with it's a W. They didn't That's a, 60 points, Mike. Um, it, it's, a, it's a win. They've now moved to nine and five in conference play. They're solidly in third place. They, you know, at this point in the season, you know, sometimes you just got to get the W. There was a game in the Isaiah Whitehead 2015-16 year where they had a late foul against St. John's and Whitehead goes to the line and makes two free throws to get out of Dodge uh, at Madison Square Garden in a game that they really couldn't afford to lose. It was ugly. It wasn't pretty, but it was a big win that got them on their way to the dance. You know, sometimes that's all you need. But within this game itself, yeah, there were some positives, man. Jared Roden wanted the ball. Didn't you feel that? Other guys were shying away, weren't stepping up. Jared was looking for his shot, and he stepped up because nobody else was stepping up. 
He, Don't you agree? He, he needed a big game. He's been struggling lately, in all honesty. He hasn't been getting the numbers that he was getting earlier this season. And yeah, he was playing well today. See, that's not fair. Jared has now scored in double figures in 18 of the Pirates' 20 games. And you're going to tell me he's been playing really well in the past well, he couple just, games? He has, he has no, he got into a, I'm not saying he's been playing terrible. I'm saying that he wasn't playing up to where he was earlier this season when people were talking about him making that big leap. Okay, he hasn't had some big breakout games lately. That's because he got more out of Kale. But in this game, they needed a little extra boost. He brought it. He brought it. You know what I mean? He didn't shoot lights out. He, you know, he was a high-volume shooter today. But somebody needed to put the ball in the basket, and he did that. And thank goodness, because Sandro did not have a good game. Oh, well, hold that thought. Hold that thought. In all serious, I can play this game, too. I can come up with blue-tinted glasses. And I'm going to say something. I had my write-up ready, Mike, or about three-quarters of the game in. I said, man, we're, again, not getting anything from our point guard position. But what happened? The last eight minutes, Shavar played a wonderful game. It was impressive. And he was playing like a true point guard, something that we've been crying about for most of the season. Eight minutes left in a go. He checks in with four fouls. He immediately has two pretty plays that got him two assists and boosted the lead back up to eight. He also scores eight of the last 12 points for the team in the final four minutes. And this isn't like one of those things where he's just chipping away points when the game's been decided. The game was still to be decided and he played wonderful. Well, that's a good thing that I take my notes in pencil also because I did the same thing. I took out my eraser, flipped it around, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. I, you're right. The, the point guard play was not steady. You know, Shavar got into foul trouble. Jahari struggled. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. You know, Bryce wasn't available today. And I'm sitting there going, the storyline, if they don't win this, is back to that hole at point guard. But no, Shavar kind of pulled a rabbit out of his hat. He flipped his game uh, with a 180 when he checked back in, like you mentioned. And he, he was big shot Shavar again. I mean, he, he was the only one that was looking for his shot late in that game. And, and he made him. So, I mean, you, you got to tip your cap and... and this one goes to him. It really does, along with what Jared gave you consistently throughout that game. But also, I'll, I'll give you one more cherry on top here. We've always complained about the free throw shooting. We complained about Miles Kale missing the front end of the one and one in the Creighton game to try to hold them off as they were rallying back and ultimately taking the lead to beat us. Hey, in this game, there was an opportunity for Marquette to steal this one. And we go 13 of 17 from the free throw line. And that doesn't jump off the page as lights out but they were eight of eight down the stretch. And it was three different guys that connected on one and ones You had Shavar that started it off, then Kale, and then Roden. All of them were one and ones All of them were opportunities where if they missed, Marquette could come back down and make it a one-possession game or potentially tie it up down, you know, and, and make it tight. And they, 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 you know, ice water in their veins. They, they made them all. You want to hear something impressive, Mike? You know you're shooting well from the free throw line when you remember all the misses you had. Your Tyree Samuels struggling from the line. He goes one for four, and there was a really pretty and one that um, to call Molson had, and he front rims the free throw. That's it. That's all the free throw misses. Those are your four misses. That's a, that's stellar free throw shooting. Uh, and and it, you, you could lose games that way. Would, Absolutely. You know, wing, and they just, you know, like I said, there, there wasn't a lot to write home about, but they found the little things here and there to pull this one out. All right, I'll, I'll go big picture here, and I'll kind of toss this one up in the air and let you decide. Was it great defense again, or was it anemic offense? 
in terms of how they held Marquette down to the 51 points. See, this is actually a tough one to answer because Marquette missed a lot of open shots. And it's not just their woes from the three-point line. They were missing a lot of open mid-range jumpers, a lot of jumpers from the elbow. I mean, it was bad. But I also can't say that the Pirates weren't scrambling. Ike was all over the place. I mean, he blocked one out on a three-point line at one point. It wasn't necessarily great, great defense, but you can't just give it one way or another, I think. No, I liked how Ike was getting out there, hedging on the pick and roll beyond the three-point line. We were criticizing them, what was it, four games ago that they can't play pick and roll defense, and all of a sudden, Ike is all over the floor with his footwork. So, you know, maybe Kevin did go back into his, as Lavin says, he was back into the laboratory, played with the test tubes, did some adjustments. They look a lot better in kind of recovering as the ball movement kind of tries to swing to the open guy. Yeah, there were enough open shots where if Marquette was, you know, having a good day from the field, the Pirates would have been in trouble. But, but yes, I thought they were actually active on the defensive end. However, there's an interesting stat that jumped out in the final box score. Dawson Garcia, you know, their stud freshman, puts in 28 against Nova their last game out. And I know they got blown out by Nova, uh, but he had his way inside. Tom, he finished with zero. He looked absolutely lost out there. There were a few times when he had good position down on the block and we scrambled around and he was like, he didn't know what to do with himself. He had to kick that ball back out. So you want to give the Pirates some credit for that? Absolutely. Like I said, it's a a bit of both. I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily great defense because it was a lot of bad offense as well. Yeah, but now two out of the last three games, you've held your opponent to 43 and 51. I mean, yes, you know, when the other team doesn't shoot the ball well, that's going to contribute to, you know, the type of night they had. And we even said in the LCP preview that one of the keys to the game was to let Marquette shoot from from deep or let them shoot jump shots. Don't let them shoot uncontested shots, but pack the paint, force them to shoot the J. That's not their strength. And that carry forward in this game, it just kind of exponentially got worse for them. But I- I just, Under, have a, right? I just have a hard time getting excited beating the bottom level of the Big East. You know, I mean, they are second to last, and the only one worse right now is DePaul. So I, I, I'm I'm keeping my excitement down a little I, bit. I get that, but if you're a Virginia fan and you're holding teams into the 40s and 50s and playing ugly basketball, but you're playing top 25 ranked basketball, are you really crying? You just want to win the game, right? Look, yes, I'm, on yeah, the, absolutely. I'm on the couch cringing. 85% of this game, I'm on the couch cringing, but at the end of the day, they won the ball game. All right, I'll, I'll let you take over. You got, you got this like negative vibe on Valentine's Day. You start off all we, cheery. We can't do these night of the game, man. I'm not. I need my night of sleep, man. I I'm can't throw handle you bone. it. I'm going to throw you a bone. We're going to start off sour grapes and grapes, and I'm going to hand my boy on a silver platter over to you. Sandro, he needs to take over in games like this, Tom. Go. You know, I don't know what Sandro was trying to do today. I mean, let's start off with the six turnovers. And a lot of them were things that he can overcome quite easily. He needs to stop throwing that cross-court pass, Mike. They are flying up. He's throwing them like he's throwing fastballs. He's got no touch on it. It needs to stop. He had an awful day shooting. He went 4 of 12. And I'll tell you, Mike... He was settling on some bad shots. And there was one in particular. Theo John was out on him out in the three-point area. 
You can't tell me that Sandro can't go around Theo John? Are you kidding me? Theo John blocks shots down low. He's a guy that, that likes to clog the middle and throw shots away. He's not staying in front of Sandro out there on the three. And Sandro took a shot from like three feet behind the three. Come on, man. I, I also don't want Sandro putting the ball on the floor too much out there because even if though he blows by or can get a step on a guy like Theo John, he has other guys kind of reach in or rake down on those drives. And he has a lot of turnovers where it then goes off his knee or whatever. Here's my observation. We keep on saying that we want to see Sandro start the offense in the post, create that double team, and then make the pass. And you're picking on them for the passes. And, and you you're rightly should because they're these bullet cross-court passes. There's two small adjustments that need to be made. Sandro needs to get the ball deeper in the post. He's getting it out kind of, you know, further out on the wing. And the double team from the opposition is coming quickly. So he's not even getting a chance to get into his move where he can hit that fadeaway and turn away from the double. It's coming quick. And then we're not getting any ball movement cutting to the basket. Remember how Kale was making a couple of those nice cuts and then finishing, whether it was, you know, a finger roll or whatever. They were stagnant today. So the open pass by Sandro was the cross-court pass. He was just very inefficient at making it. But nobody else was coming to him and presenting him with an outlet for that ball. He made the one that got picked off early in the first half that went the other way for two. Nobody moved. Kale stood there waiting for that pass. If Kale cuts to the lane, that's an easy two presenting himself for the double. And, and, you know, it doesn't help him bringing the ball down as a regular point guard. I don't mind him leading the break at times, but you can't no. have him dribbling the ball down the court. Give it to Long if he's in. The kid's got to come in, you know, trial by fire, if whatever. He's a point guard by nature. He's got to be able to bring the ball down court. I'm going to feed you since you so humbly served up your boy to me on a silver platter. I'll return the favor. Where did Miles Kale go today? I don't know. I thought we, I thought he was going to show up again, right? You got those two early buckets. He was, he was active. He hits the three when no one else could put a shot in for the pirates. And then all of a sudden I look at the final box score and he finishes with seven. He hits the two free throws as part of that one and one sequence late in the game. And I'm like, Miles didn't score the rest of that game after he hit the three. I'm like, did, did that really happen? You know, I don't know. I think what happened was Miles had a hard time shooting a ball. Some of those drives that he normally puts in weren't rolling in today. And I think he kind of just shied away from the offense for the rest of the game. And he can't do that. He's got to no, keep no. going to the hole. He's got to keep shooting. But you got to make it a focus. You got to say, hey, you got to keep going. I just, I didn't like how the offense was putting Sandro and Miles constantly in one-on-one -on -one positions to have to try to create. So, I mean, that, that's, I'm not trying to bail them out here. They didn't have good games, but did it seem like the offense was doing anything to get them on the move, get them a mismatch, get them across screen, anything? Well, I, like I think part of it comes down to, you know, as much as we banged on Shavar for the most of the season saying he's not a real point guard, he got into foul trouble. You put an inexperienced point guard in there in Jahari Long, who has not put a lot of minutes on the floor together, and it showed. And you need a little you need a little direction from your point guard. And we didn't have that today until those last final seven and a half minutes or so. Direction from our point guard. He was hiding in the corner again. He does they don't they don't give him the ball. All right, so, so, so let's do this. That, that's what my next concern is, and that'll be my my final sour grapes and gripes for this uh, episode. My concern is where the depth of this team is now on the bench. And 
let's let's start with Aiken, right? So there's no Aiken today with the knee injury. We'll talk about that more later. But then there's a complete trickle-down effect with him not being on the court. You have Long, who's now pressed into major minutes due to the foul trouble that Shavar got into. And to say it was a work in progress or kind of ugly, I think is being generous, right? 18 minutes, he takes one shot, he has four turnovers, and Tommy doesn't even, like, tick the stat sheet in anything else. Not a rebound, not an assist, not a steal. Did he even deflect the ball defensively? You know what I think the kid needs? I think the kid needs something positive to happen. There was one little spot. He got the ball in the first half, and he made a move to the basket. And he actually blew by his defender. And I'm like, I remember this. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm thinking to myself, oh, nice. Just get that first basket in. Get that monkey off your back, and, and we'll go. And he tries a little wraparound pass and forces it. It, it just... He had the shot, and the minute after that turnover, they went to the bench, and I saw one of the coaches talking to him, and I know he's saying to him, you got to take that shot when you got it. So, he- so I mean, like I said, so I, I don't know what we get out of Long. There's a lot of frustration out there on social media about, should we recruit over him already? I mean, let, let's, let's slow down. You already. What are you talking about? All right, the, the point is, we need someone to play backup point guard right now if Aiken's unhealthy, and what Long showed you today has you scratching your head a little bit. You're hoping that he, he got his feet wet and that if he's put in the same situation again against DePaul, he's going to hopefully kind of step up and, and learn from today's experience. Let, let's just leave it at that. Tyrese, as much as we like Tyrese, man, he's a liability at the free throw one. He shoots free throws like they're snowflakes. Every one of those free throws looks a little different. I like that. That's a good, that's a good analogy. Like that. we're, we're, we're going to talk about analogies later on with Coach Levin on the mic, but that's a good analogy. That's good for you. There, there's no analogy for this. Molson can't hit a three. Oh, he just has to stop taking them. I'll tell you what, he I was laughing today because when he does his drives to the basket, he ends up curling that basketball underneath his arm like he's running with a football. And if I'm not mistaken, they said he's a former quarterback. Well, I, so he's, it's like this combination of, of sports that's got him going. Paul Gauze used to do that a lot. You know, Paul was that football combo kind of guy. I like that hard nose, take it to the basket. He's just not finding consistency. And it's not even just the three-point shot now. He's not even finding consistency with his jump shot. If he puts his head down and goes to the basket, I can live with some of the the misses or the, or the wild takes because he's going to find his way to get uh, at the free throw line. He's going to make things happen. But right now, they're leaving him wide open on the perimeter, and it doesn't even look close. So, all right, so we talked about – Aiken with the injuries, Long not being ready to backfill. Tyrese, if if he's going to be down low and they're going to put him on the free throw line, that's an empty trip. Molson's a liability at the three-point line. And you're not even getting Trey Jackson to come in off the bench. I'm why, not expecting. Why are you bagging on Trey Jackson? What has he done to you right well, now, I, Mike? I'm, I'm, not mad. I'm not mad at the guy. I'm just saying if he's going to play an integral part on next year's roster, you obviously believe that the kid has talent. So you know, when our bench is shorthanded to begin with, you're telling me he can't. Sandro's having a rough day. You can't give this kid five minutes just to kind of mix it up? No. I'm not I'm not going to bag on the kid. He, he, you I'm know. not begging on the kid. I'm begging on coach for not even giving him a chance. My point is this. Are you not concerned about what the potential depth is of this team if Aiken's not there, what the collective bench can give you going forward? I'm less concerned with the rest of the bench than I am with the point guard position in, in specifically. I think when Mamu's not having a good night, you could stick Tyrese in there hoping Ike's not getting foul trouble. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. Molson may not be able to shoot a three, but he does the little things for you. He plays good defense. He grabs boards. He's tough. 
I, you know, he's got to play within himself. And I think next year he'll be that much better. But the point guard position, Jahari Long's got to grow up fast and he's got to grow up now. All right, let, let's talk more about the point guard position as we transition into our favorite segment. And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. All right, Mike. So this week, Coach went on Matt Laughlin's podcast and he had some interesting things to say about our backup point guard, Bryce Aiken. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just one of those things that, you know, his sprained ankle really kind of put him put him behind, uh, you know, his, his kind of his recovery from his knee, you know, he was doing, a, he was rehabbing his knee, his knee was looking great. Uh, and then, you, you know, he had a sprained ankle where he was out three weeks where it kind of stopped his progression on rehabbing his knee because we had to get his ankle back strong. And then he sprained his ankle again and was out another 10 days. So the ankle injuries, although his ankle is fine now, is kind of just, it, it's stopped him from progressing with his knee. So, um, you know, I'm always kind of aware of where we are minutes wise with him just because, you know, more than anything, his health is most important to me. So uh, he's been great. He's a he's a tremendous young man. Um, and he's, he understands that, like, you know, this year hasn't gone perfectly. But at the same time, um, he's been a huge help when he's on the floor for us. So, you know, the more I can get him out there, the more we can manage and make sure he's out there healthy, uh, you know, the better off we are. So I, I think we all at this point understand that this team just has a different dynamic with a healthy Bryce Aiken on the floor and what he can do. I, I don't think we're going to get the Bryce Aiken who's going to be the starting point guard that people hope for at the beginning of the season. I don't think Bryce is going to be able to log 25 to 30 minutes a game, even in a shared backcourt role with Shavar at the two. At this point, you hope that he's going to be able to just split duties with Shavar and be that change of pace point guard that can be the, uh, the Vinnie Johnson microwave off the bench to give you that instant offense, you know, and, and give you that 10 points, that shot in the arm. And, you know, m- maybe on a given night, he's the man like he was in the Creighton game. But, but Tom, we're talking about a knee injury now. We're not talking about the ankle. The knee injury is years ago at his Harvard time. Where, where is this coming from all of a sudden? Well, you know, Mike, I mean, they already announced, I saw Zach Braziller tweeted out that there's going to be an MRI on Monday on his knee. I'm already in the point where I'm saying, you know, maybe Bryce doesn't play the rest of the season. You know, he might be done. And to be honest with you, Mike, yes, he struggled with the ankle. Like Coach Willard said, he's only had really two good games. The past three or four games that he's played, maybe the knees affected him, and that's why he hasn't been able to build on what we got out of Creighton. But I'm just figuring it's done. We're not getting him. This is what we've got. We've got to work with what we have. Well, Willard's postgame quote wasn't really encouraging, was it? He goes, Bryce, we, we just don't know right now. Going forward, I'm not sure how long it's going to be. It's his knee. We looked at it. It's one of those things. You know, if we can get him back, great. He's getting an MRI Monday. He didn't practice all week. He got some tendon. He's got some tendonitis in there. I mean, that's just not encouraging. I mean, we obviously got to see what the MRI says, but just knowing Willard's history and how he handles players off of injuries or that are actively going through injury, and we've already seen it with Bryce this year, you can't expect much more out of Bryce now. You just can't. And, and to me, that means that we should transition our conversation around what needs to happen if Aiken is not playing. And I think it starts with Shavar having to adapt his game in terms of how he plays his defense. And that's not easy. Once you have a mentality as a player to play one way 
all the time, hard nose in your face. It's hard to just kind of shut that off, but he can't be reaching in for steals or giving the ref a chance to determine his fate on a block charge type call. And today all those calls went against him and we knew that Aiken wasn't playing and he still put himself in that position and it almost cost us. Well, you, you play the way you know how to play. It's instinct out there, Mike. So I get it. He, this is how he earned his time. This is how he figures he's going to stay out there. But like I said, not five minutes ago, Jahari Long needs to, needs to grow up fast. He needs to show that he's willing to shoot. Like he had that open layup. You got to put that ball up on the glass and he's got to be able to attack on the dribble. He just can't sit back there and, and be willing just to pass the ball around. He's got, he, you can't hide him in the corner. You got to use him. Right. Am I jumping the gun by possibly saying that we need to temper our expectations because the ceiling of the team might just not be the same. I mean, I, I'm not saying they're not good enough to make the dance. I still think they're a bubble team. You know, they're, they're on that fringe. They, they can do well with this softer underbelly of the schedule right now. But do you see this team as a second weekend type team without a healthy Aiken? I don't know that I saw them as a second weekend team with a healthy Aiken, to be honest with you. I mean, that's It's a tough ask. I mean, you, we're talking about getting somewhere that we haven't gotten to in a long time. And we had much better teams over the past five years than this team. So well, no, I don't know. Let me rephrase. Not the expectation of being in the second weekend, but having the potential to be there. I think whatever we get from this team at this point is cream. We've, we've given ourselves a situation where we have no opportunity to fall. I'm not going to dive down that analysis right now. I mean, obviously they got two easier games on the schedule in terms of opponents record and, and where they should be in terms of beating that team and, you know, putting them in a position to head down the stretch against uh, UConn and St. John's. But, but let's look, look, that's a couple weeks away. Let, let's get through next week. Let's see where the chips fall. I'm not ready to say that they have, they cannot lose another game the rest of the way. Otherwise they're out. But speaking of what should have been out is some of the delivery techniques from the announcers this week. You know, I was having a good time today with Lavin on the mic. I was enjoying it today. I especially like the little uh, play he was doing about Marquette not taking his coaching advice as he's telling them to stop shooting the threes. I enjoyed it. You, I had you to enjoy the, something today. You liked all of his analogies? I mean, they had more turnovers than a bakery. You know, that, that low pass, you couldn't put a glove on it if you were Ozzie Smith or Roberto Clemente or, you know, Ike was playing goalie out there with some of his blocks. I don't mind those. I think, I think Lavin's got to watch baseball in this century because I don't know how many people can remember who Roberto Clemente or Ozzie Smith. I mean, no, oh, I enjoyed Lavin. I like, I like Steve Lavin. Uh, all right, Tommy, I got, I got a mic flop for you this week. And now I'm, now I'm really broadening my scope. This is not even the Seton Hall game, but, but, uh, but I'm going to tie it back to Seton Hall. That, that's going to be my rule. If I'm going to be someone who's going to be grumpy and analyzing all the mic flops out there, there's got to be a Seton Hall undertone, at least in my analysis. So, so bear with me here. I'm watching the Villanova Creighton game and refing the game is Tom Clarity. You know, the, the son of Tim Clarity, who makes the call against Seton Hall in the 1989 National Championship game. And Tim Brando thinks he's got this one. He goes, Clarity refing the game today, the son of Tim, who called the Ramil Robinson the most famous block charge call of all time. And I'm just sitting here in my seat, disgusted, going, it was not a block charge call. 
It was the tickiest, tackiest handshake call ever known to man, but I'm sorry, it was not a block charge call. When you started this description and said Nova Creighton, I was about to cut you off and say, Mike, you know how we do this, and that's not, this is not from a Seton Hall game, but I think at this point, we need to change the mic flops and drops and just call this the Brando from now on. Anytime an announcer says something back, it's now called the Brando. Brando snow because once in a while there are some good drops and I haven't had Brando have a good drop since Desi goes Babaloo. So, oh, you know, man, that's well, that wasn't, that was, I'll give him a little credit. That wasn't so bad in the uh, Wichita state game. Mike, I know we've been relatively negative about a win. I mean, it wasn't a pretty win. I mean, we didn't break 60 points. I was joking on the group text saying, are we even going to break 50 at one point? But I think we deserve a little positivity right now, and I think I'm going to bring some to you here. We had the opportunity before the game to talk to a recent Seton Hall graduate, one of our favorites, Quincy McKnight, who's playing for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. What a great time to talk to him. He got drafted in the G League. Our three big seniors from last year are all in the bubble down in Orlando, and we're super excited to talk to him. You sound happy again. I like this. I like this. <laughs> this is one of your better transitions. See, good job. He was a star at Sacred Heart, earning Eddie C. All-Rookie Team in his freshman year, following up with All-First-Team the next transferred to Seton Hall in 2017 immediately endeared himself to the fan base with his hard-nosed lockdown defense his senior year with the hall he led the Big East Conference in assists and was honorable mention all Big East helping lead the Pirates to a share of its first Big East Conference title since 1993. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Quincy McKnight. Quincy, how are you this morning? I'm doing good, guys. I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing well. My, my first question now I ask everybody is, how'd you like the intro? Jeez. That intro was great. That was a great intro. I loved that one. All right. Well, <laughs> my surprise. Well, thank you for joining the show. You know, you don't have to bring that kind of energy, but anything close and I'll take it. How about that? <laughs> Unfortunately, Quincy, and a question that we lead off the show right now because of the you know, environment and everything going on in the world is we always want to check in with our guests and see how COVID-19 is currently impacting them, their family and friends, how they're doing in their kind of current surroundings. So how are you holding up throughout the pandemic? Uh, you know, I've been blessed uh, during this pandemic. Um, you know, not much of my family has been affected by it. Uh, actually just, uh, probably like last week, uh, two weeks ago, my dad had a positive test, but he said he felt perfectly fine. You know, he's back to work now and stuff like that. So everything has been good for me. Um, only thing bad is, you know, kept me out the gym and stuff like that. So that was the only bad thing about it, but, uh, everything else has been good. You know, family, everybody's healthy. So we're, we're blessed. Well, that's, that's interesting. So before we start talking about G league and, and, and basketball on the court during the transition from the last time you played for the pirates when the season got cut short abruptly up until now playing, you know, in the G league, how'd you get on the court? Roe was telling us that, you know, it was difficult trying to find a, a positive workout or even getting in any, any kind of game action. Yeah, it was definitely tough. Uh, you know, a lot of gyms back home weren't letting more than six people in the gym, stuff like that. Um, you know, but we kind of got through kind of the, some of the phases kind of quick. So uh, probably like probably a couple months into the pandemic, I got to play five on five back home. Uh, Miles actually came came out, played five on five a couple of times with me. Uh, you know, with me and Miles worked out. He was, when he was with uh, the Knicks, his uh, his apartment was only uh, like 35, 45 minutes from my house. 
in Bridgeport, Connecticut. So he was right there. Uh, he met me in Stanford. We worked out a couple of times together. Uh, so it was pretty, it was, it was hard at first, you know, obviously everybody's kind of scared of what was going on. And then once they started giving out all the protocols, uh, giving people tests, checking temperatures and things like that, some of the gyms starting to open up, but um, it was difficult, uh, you know, going to the gym five o'clock in the morning, just trying to get it in any way possible. You know, there was sometimes you get there at five o'clock and you wouldn't be able to work out, you know, until you come back later, you come back later, you still weren't able to work out things like that. Cause it was mostly just schools. Uh, most of the community centers weren't open and stuff like that. So you try and work out at schools, you know, they were trying to be sanitary about themselves and having kids come back to school and stuff like that. So. So you're working out, you're prepping for the, the G League draft. And just to give the listeners a little background, the NBA G League consists of a total of 20 teams this year. You know, typically those rosters are filled with guys that, you know, were previously invited to training camp. They're on either like a two-way deal or an Exhibit 10 type contract, you know, by those franchises that they're actually going to play for in the, in the G League. But since 11 teams did not send an affiliate to the bubble in Orlando this year, all the players from those teams – that have these types of contracts were eligible for the three rounds of the G League draft. And what I also found interesting is even though there were three rounds of the draft, there were only 26 draft selections made uh, for different various rules. So people are assuming there's going to be 57 picks and it's not even half of that. So now you find yourself in a draft pool with all these guys from other teams who already have some type of a contract plus everybody else who went undrafted in 2020 and you get drafted in the second round with the 20th overall pick by the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. How proud of a moment was that for you? Uh, it was a blessing, you know, uh, just not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, we were in contact with a couple of overseas teams, uh, my agent and I, and um, it was just, it was kind of weird, you know, um, one moment you're sitting there, you know, a couple of days before the, the G League draft, uh, we were talking with overseas teams, then come the day of the G League draft, uh, you know, the Pacers, uh, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, I reached out to my agent and said that they were going to take me. And um, it was exciting. You know, it was it was a blessing. You know, even though, uh, you know, we had some of that stuff, you know, during the draft, the regular NBA draft, it was kind of, you know, because I was still kind of skeptical about it. But um, I think I was back home playing the game. I was playing Call of Duty. And uh, Miles had just called me out of nowhere. You know, Miles, me and Miles talk all the time. You know, we talk every single day almost. You know, that's my guy. Um so when he called me, I kind of knew what was going on, but I kind of was still focused on the game. So uh, he called me, he's just like, bro, congrats. You know, I love you. He's just telling me, you know, we got to stay focused. You know, this is what we've been working about, uh, working for. You know, we talked about this all the time. You know, the three seniors, me, Ro, and Miles, we always talked about it. You know, if we ever got an opportunity uh, to play in the NBA or in the G League, uh, you know, we, we got to kill. And uh, that's what we work for. And um, it was a blessing for all three of us to get picked up. So. Well, we were super excited for you as well. You know, you had that special team last year led by those seniors of, you know, you mentioned yourself, Miles and Roe. Let's give a little more info about where you're at right now. You know, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants are the Pacers affiliate of the G League, but the current roster has got really exciting young players. It's got Cassius Stanley from Duke and more seasoned players like Josh Gray, who played at LSU. Who has impressed you the most on the team so far? Everybody, you know, this the level uh, that we just have here is just it's crazy. You know, in the whole G League right now in this bubble, the guys that you see walking around, you know, guys that I played AAU against on the EYBL circuit, guys that you see in college that were big names in college. There's so many, even some guys have, there's guys out here that have rings, you know, that have won NBA championships. Jeremy Lin's out here. Uh, there's a number of guys that are out here that are great players. 
And um, so I've been impressed by everybody on my team. Uh, Naz Mitri Long, a guy who could dribble the ball, you know, get in the lane and makes assists. You know, he makes plays for other players, but he can also score the ball as well. Josh Gray, like you mentioned, he a veteran almost on our team. You know, he's somebody who comes in, he's just a smooth player. Uh, you know, he's a silent killer. That's what I call him right now. He's a silent killer. You know, he doesn't say much, but um, when he gets out there, you know, he's gonna hit you with a crossover, get to the basket, and he's small. So, you know, he's quick. Guys like Brian Bowen, you know, came right out of high school. Uh, Brian could shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, you know, Jalen LeCue, guy, young guy who came right out of Brewster, uh, bouncy. Uh, it's him and Cassius, you know, our first or second practice back, you know, they were dunking, doing some crazy dunks off a one-two step. It was just, you know, those younger guys are really impressive. You know, those all the younger guys that we have are really impressive right now. Our whole team, you know, like I said, the G League right now is stacked. It's crazy. I see a future in politics for Quincy. <laughs> Who's impressing you? you? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody's impressing me. We love the world. No, I'm, I'm only teasing you, Q. All right. So, ironically, that first game for the Mad Ants scheduled back on February 10th was uh, against none other than the Westchester Knicks. And we all want to know, how did the conversation with Miles go during warm-ups? Or, as you've kind of already alluded to, you know, have you guys been talking all the way throughout leading up to this? Yeah, so we we knew from a, we knew a, a while back that we were, our first game was gonna be against each other, and um, you know it was obviously a little smack talk. Obviously, um, you know me and Miles were together. Uh, I think we had got dinner together the night before, stuff like that. So it was kind of it was kind of weird, you know, after going three years of being on the same team, being together, and we we're talking all this junk about the other teams the night before together in the hotel. Like, yeah, we gonna we gonna go get this dub, and then we were eating dinner, and it was just like. Like, bro, we got to play each other tomorrow. <laughs> I can't, I don't even know. I don't even know if I can really even be next to you right now. I don't even know. Oh, that's, even that's, even that's... in the morning before we left for shoot around, Miles came to my room, you know, he came, came to my room, talked to me a little bit more. And then, you know, we were just, we were just talking regular. Does, you know, that, does that change? Does the minute you cross over the white lines, does it change? Like, you know, you, you stop with the friendly chit chat and you give him the stairs. How, no. how does that go? No, nah, it still didn't. It still didn't change. You know, that's that's my brother. So our our relationship, even when we step on the court, even if we're not on the same team, is still brotherly love. Like it was, I was still like, even though he was playing so good against us, I was still happy to see him playing well. You know, it was like even though they were beating us and things like that, I was still happy to see him doing well. You know, he did a little smack talking. You know, he blew by one of my teammates. He got a layup. He looked at me on the bench like, yo, Quince, tell him to chill out. You know, it, was just, it was just stuff like that. Even when we got in the warm-up, uh, we were doing layup lines and stuff. We just kept on making eye contact, just smiling at each other like, bro, we're really here. And this is what, at the end of the day, you know, this is, we put so many hours in that seat hall together. And it's just we're both happy to, to see each other here. You know, he was happy to ha uh, when I got drafted. And I'm happy to see him killing it right now, honestly. So. Least surprising thing you could say during this interview, Quincy, Miles talking trash. I love it. <laughs> so back to the G League a little bit. You know, due to the pandemic, the G League season is abbreviated, 15 mm -hmm. games plus playoffs. And your former teammate, Romaro Gill, a few weeks back with us, uh, announced that he's going to play in New Zealand of all places. You know, we, we, yeah. we got our journalistics hats on and said, oh, it's that New Zealand girlfriend of yours. We got it. We understand what's going on here. Do you have any immediate plans or prospects to play overseas uh, during that time as well? Uh, not right now, but most definitely going to be my agents. We've, we've discussed that, but we haven't been in talk with any teams or anything like that. So, you know, we're kind of just taking it day by day, uh, just trying to, you know, just just take it day by day, really. We're not not really rushing into things, but uh, definitely going to try to find somewhere if you no know, things don't don't work out. 
Now, going back to the big man, you know, we didn't realize he had a little trash talk as part of his game. You know, he was on the show, like we said, and he was saying he was looking forward to playing against yourself and Miles because he knows all your moves. So <laughs> how would you respond to Roe if he's listening to this? Uh, he thinks he knows everybody's moves. That's that's exactly how it was when he first when he first got to CN Hall. He thought he knew everybody moves and stuff like that. And he wasn't the shot blocker he was when he first got here. You know, we, trust me, Ro Ro he got laid a couple of times, dunked on a couple of times by guys. So we definitely the reason why he was blocking everybody else's shots because we 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 trained him really well. You know, he he got he saw a lot of floaters, a lot of a lot of reverse layups. You know, a lot of attacking the rim, crazy. So that's why he was such a good shot blocker coming in those last two years. Uh, we're going to play up this joke one last time. We were teasing Roe because all the guys say on the broadcast, he's a legit 7-2. You're saying that you guys got guys dunking on him now. Is Roe a legit 7-2? He's, he said he was. He is. He's a legit 7-2, but, hey, you know, they, everybody has to learn. You know, everybody gets caught some days. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's how it is. Get up in his chest. I like it. All right. Uh, all right. So almost all the ex-pirates that we have on the show, Q, say that, you know, when they have the ability to do so, they still follow the team. And this year's team in particular probably has to be close to you because you were just on that roster and those were all your guys, right? So how often do you get a chance to watch the team play and what are your thoughts on how they're doing so far this year? Uh, I've watched every game this year so far. Um, you know, Miles, me, my, I'm pretty sure me and Miles both have watched almost every game this season that we've, that we've been able to. Um, you know, I, I, those are my little bros, you know. That's what we call them, the little bros. Those guys right there, um, they worked hard because we worked hard, you know. They, they came in with a work ethic, but we we kind of pushed them a little bit harder. You know, we trash talked them, and, you know, that's why you see them talking trash now. You see, you hear uh, Big Ike blocking shots. You hear Miles Kell yelling block party and stuff like that. That's exactly how it was our first year with Row. You know, we were screaming block party left and right and stuff like that. So <laughs> the, the, the little bros, they're definitely holding it down, you know, and that's one thing that um, – we commend them for all the time. You know, uh, we knew it was going to be difficult. Everybody was going to be doubting them the same way they was doubting us when the four seniors had left. Um, you know, with us three seniors leaving and Miles, you know, being All-American, player of the year, stuff like that, Ro being defensive player of the year, me being a high-level defender that I was, you know, we caused a lot of havoc to other teams, you know. And the biggest thing that we did, we were trash-talking. That's why a lot of people didn't like us, you know. So we, we trash-talked everybody. So it was – I, I love. I enjoy watching them play now because I, I can still see that grit that they have. You know, Sandro, uh, Miles, Kel, Shavar, uh, Top. You know, Top was a guy who sat out for us, and um, I know he he they're they're already. You know, they they've been waiting for this time for this to be their team. Uh, the things that they have now. You know, those guys. I know they're they're ready to just compete and win. You know, I know they're gonna they're gonna do well. So we always they play today. So definitely gonna check that out right after my shoot around. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that. I mean, there was a point in your career where it kind of just seemed like the light bulb went off and you felt comfortable and you just took your game to a different level playing the point. And recently, it seems like Miles Kale has all of a sudden shifted into another gear. You know, everyone says that Miles was inconsistent or sometimes was quiet offensively. And over the last three or so games, he's put the team on his back that we did like we didn't think that he could do. Like he's had those outbursts where he could put in 30 against a Georgetown, but now he's doing it every night. You know, what do you see in a player like Miles that all of a sudden makes him go at that kind of level? Uh, he always had that in him, honestly. Uh, in high school, coming out of high school out of Delaware, Miles was a killer. You know, Miles, I don't know how many points he averaged in high school, but I know he averaged a lot. You know, um, when he first got here, he was a kid who his motor was high. Uh, he's jumping out the gym and stuff like that. But 
it's really it's not what Miles is doing now. It's mostly the coaching staff. You know, I, I can say that just from personal experience. Coach Willard uh, and all the coaching staff, Coach uh, Bill Meyer, uh, Forty, uh, Coach Scan, all those guys, even the assistants, uh, even the the assistants' assistants. You know, Smitty, uh, all of them, Kev. Those guys put the battery in your back. You know, they they encourage us every day. You know, to to be the best player that we can be. And Coach Willard does an amazing job as a coach. Um, just bringing out the best in players. You know, Miles, like you said, um, last couple of years, you see, you know, he'll have five, six good games, but now he's starting to learn how to consistently play at that same level, game after game after game after game. And that's something that's tough to do, honestly. You know, you, that's not something that's just, you just learn off the rip your first year, second year. Sometimes it might take to your third or fourth year to learn that. So, you know, Miles is just coming into, his, he's coming out of his shell, not coming out of his shell, but, you know, he's just showing, He's a great player, you know. He's just showing everybody what he could have been doing, you know. If it wasn't uh, what a lot of us with our, you know, the four seniors that he had to play with before with Desi and them, and then coming into the three seniors and stuff like that. So you know what I mean? It was it was hard for him. Um, now he's just comfortable. He's just playing his game again. That's all it really is. I think people forget that sometimes you just have to wait your time, right? I mean, exactly. everyone just assumes that these guys are going to come in and play freshman year, but when you kind of progressed up through the high school ranks, you didn't get to start right away. Well, at least I didn't. I didn't ever. Mike, I never really got. Mike, Mike never I, I never, started. Really, I never really Mike started. Never How about started that? Started any game in his life. Don't listen to him. <laughs> we didn't even let him start on the fraternity rec league. Team. That's, That's not true. Me? That's oh, not true. Absolutely true. So Quincy, before we let our guests go, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five rapid-fire questions. We're going to want five rapid-fire answers from you. Don't think too long about it. Just answer the first thing that pops to your head. You think you're ready for this? Yeah. All right. All right here, here we go. Question number one. Most points scored in any game at any level? At any level? Uh, summer league I, back home at 61. All right. Number two. What team was your biggest arch rival? Marquette. Toughest road environment? Butler. Toughest opposing player you ever played against? Mm, I'll give it to Marcus. Best Seton Hall player you've ever seen play? I've seen play. I gotta go, Miles. Bonus question. You had a run of shutting down some elite scoring point guards for the opposition. Which one brought you the most satisfaction? Marcus, again. Uh, he's the toughest guy, but it, was, it brought me the most satisfaction locking him up. All right, so there's a lot of more Ket in a lot of these answers here. So you yeah. got you got Marcus for the best player against. You love locking Marcus down. And the arch rival was Marquette. Yeah. Talk to me briefly about that Big East game where with all That's the funny. fouls and all the Miles hatred. calling me right now. <laughs> Put him on the phone. Get, send the Zoom. Put him on. <laughs> But yeah. how, how how intense was that game at the Garden? Was it was there that level of kind of hatred to that team? It wasn't even the level of hatred. It was just the competitiveness. You know, they they had guys who were just like us. You know, guys who wanted to win so bad. Uh, guys who were who trash talk also. You know, they they talked, but it was their talk didn't really have you know that that grit behind it the way we we know. You know, we were like ah, we don't really know if this trash talk is really is that. You know, so we we're gonna come at y'all and really show you guys. 
we're not going to just trash talk you, but we're going to show you what our game also. And every time we played them, you know, everybody played their best game. Mike cut me off here, but congratulations, Quincy. You have walked the plank. We understand the whole hatred for Marquette. You know, I think it stems from the top. I think Wojo, just that whole attitude that he brings, you just start saying, oh, this is like the old Big East times when we could really yeah. hate a team. So, hey, we're going to let you go. We know you're super busy. You got a shoot around to go to. Thank you so much for coming on and spending some time. We wish you nothing but the best, and we always extend that invite for a longer interview this summer. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Definitely going to uh, exchange contacts. Definitely get on the summer. Hopefully, get Miles with me too. So, well, speaking of, we, we can do that. <laughs> speaking of Wojo, if we get Q back on in the summertime, speaking of slapping the floor, I'm asking Q about slapping the floor at Georgetown. That's coming up. That's coming up. Definitely, everybody. All right, that was Quincy McKnight, Mike. But Quincy wasn't the only one we talked to today. We also get a chance to talk to a good friend of ours, Kareem Copeland for the Washington Post, to go behind enemy lines for the upcoming game against Georgetown. He is a graduate of the University of Michigan and covers the Georgetown Hoyas for the Washington Post. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Kareem Copeland. Kareem, how you doing today? What up, fellas? Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. No, the pleasure's all ours. Uh, this past year has been a grind for everybody due to the pandemic, right? So oh, yeah. we're just trying to be respectful to all of our guests. How are you, your friends and family holding up? And how is the pandemic impacting you and your current surroundings? Uh, I appreciate you asking. No, everything's everything's been good for the most part. Um, most of my family have been good. Like all my family's still back in Detroit. That's where I grew up in. Um, that's where, you know, Grew up in Detroit, ended up going to Michigan. Um, but most of the fans are still at home. Everybody's cool for the most part. I did have a couple cousins who came down with it. One household of cousins came down with it and uh, another cousin, but everybody made it through. Um, you know, everybody's back healthy and all that good stuff. My mom got her vaccine shot the other day. So that Congrats. was nice. That was all nice right. text to get. So now we're working on dad, but everybody's cool for the most part. I'm I'm laying low for the for the most part, you know, staying staying inside, staying safe. I got my small little COVID circle that I kick it with, but um, besides that, uh, I haven't done much. I'm actually kind of looking forward uh, to tournament time coming up because that'll be my first. Um, those will be my first real, not first road trips, but that'll be my that'll be my first time on a plane since all this started. Um, going out to Indy, like so, like all my road trips so far, I've kind of just driven places that have been close, so. But yeah, no, it's cool. It's, it's It's been good. It's been okay. You know, a little bit of, um, like anybody, you know, things have gotten a little uh, old and, and annoying during stretches, but you know, cool. Haven't lost my mind yet. So we still kicking it. All right, Kareem. So normally when Hoya hoops are in full swing and they're, they're playing well, by the way, right. They have the Hell attention of the, they have the attention of the folks in DC, but with everything that's been surrounding the nation's capital in terms of political news, you know, has Georgetown basketball really been able to even like steal the occasional headline in the eyes of the public? Um, to be honest, I don't think so. It's been super low key just because so much else has been going on and, and honestly, it didn't help having that three-week stretch where they were dealing with their COVID issues. So they were completely on pause for then. And, and before then, they were not playing very well at all. So um, it wasn't a whole lot of attention. Um, and, you know, and they're not having any fans or anybody, you know, even us media, we're not, um, we can't go cover home games either. 
So it's been, it's definitely been different, you know, and they had so much turnover with new guys. And so, you know, it wasn't the greatest off season where they lost a bunch of guys and it, it just hasn't been a good stretch, but I think this last week has been a little bit better. Um, has been much better since they came back from the break, you know, but they've gone three and two, which has been the best stretch of the season. Um, pushed Villanova, which was pretty, which was pretty incredible, shocking for all of us. Um, beat Creighton. So it, it, things are picking up. And I think, you know, just like anywhere or any place that's got a whole lot of different things going on, you know, there's so much going on in DC right now. I think when programs struggle or teams struggle, it's easy for them to kind of fall in the wayside and, and people kind of paying attention to the other teams that may be doing a little bit better or other million things that are going on in DC these days. So um, I think they've been a little bit under the radar, but I, I think if they finish in a strong kick that, that people will um, start paying a little bit more attention. So, you know, this really has been a season of two Hoyas, so to speak, you know, since Seton Hall faced them off last, there's three and six. But as you mentioned, they've gone three and two since that pause. And, and it's not like those two losses came against cupcakes. It came against yep. the two top teams in the conference. So what has been different for the Hoyas since then? Well, the, the, these are the two things that plagued them. Turnovers, they've been one of the worst teams in the entire country in turnovers. I think they were, before last night, I think they started ranked 298th in the country I do believe like 15 and a half turnovers per game and even last night they ended up with like 23 which is still a ton but it was weird because they were already up by 20 when they started throwing the ball away so it kind of allowed them to kind of creep back in the game but they had done all their damage already and they built up enough cushion so that's the number one thing is that when they can't score it's they're, when they're giving up a whole lot of points because they're turning the ball over and they just throw it away. It's it's really strange. It's not even like, you know, we keep asking Patrick all season long, like, you know, how do you address this? It's like, it's it, it's almost like bad decision-making as opposed to like something physical. They just, I, I don't know if they try to outthink themselves. Like last game, the very first two possessions of the game were turnovers. One was just a bounce pass to somebody on the wing, but you know, he started moving and they just threw the ball out of bounds. And the other one was like driving crazy to the lane. So it's weird stuff like that. That's the biggest problem. It also has helped they put Chudier Bile in the lineup and he's a longer, more athletic guy. And he's, and, and he's played his best game since of the entire season and during this stretch. So that's kind of helped give them a little bit more of um, a little bit more firepower on offense, but also a little bit somebody who can um, you know, is a little bit stronger, who can go both inside out. Donald Carey, who was starting before, you know, he's more of a shooter from the outside. You know, he's not going to be too physical. And Bile kind of gives you a little bit of um, a little bit of both, more of a guy who can go both inside and outside. And that seemed to that seemed to kind of calm things down a little bit, even though he can get a little out of it himself. You know, like sometimes, and I, I, it's funny because you can see his confidence growing, but at the same time, you know. You get that confidence, and then you're like, give me the ball and get out of the way. And it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> you know, that's not what got you here, you know, playing one-on-one -on -one ball and just trying to take over. And Jamarco Pickett has been played much better also. And, you know, he's, you know, their number two, who should be their number two scorer, and he needs to play like that night in and night out. You know, um, Javon Blair has kind of been, uh, he's been pretty consistent throughout, but Jamarco's been up and down. And and but when he's up, he's got NBA skill when he's up, but he's just 
he struggled with consistency throughout the seasons. Okay, Korean. So before we continue to dive into some of these individual talents that you started to kind of highlight, I want to kind of look at it more from a high level, big picture. And I, and I don't want to throw shade on the situation, but regardless of the recent play, the results over the last couple of years collectively have not always been positive, right? So coach Ewing has now had one winning season in his first three soon to now be four. And what must be specifically troubling was the roster deconstruction last year, right? In Mm -hmm. which they lost a total of five players, whether it was dismissal or transfer, only to see guys like that, you know, in James Akinjo and Mac McClung, you know, flourish in their new roles at Arizona and Texas Tech, respectively. How supportive has Georgetown leadership been through some of these difficult roster turnovers? Um, I think they're still all in on Patrick. I don't think there's, um, I know that's a common question that people have been asked, like, hey, you know, how is he seen um, from administration? Is he on the hot seat? Is it getting, I think he's fine. Um, You know, a lot of it now is, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that he is Patrick Ewing, you know, he is Georgetown Hall of Famer, Georgetown great Patrick Ewing. Now, if it was someone else, maybe, um, maybe, it would feel a little bit different. Maybe that seat might be a little bit warmer, but I think Patrick's going to get, you know, um, it's not going to be a quick trigger here, you know, by any means, number one, he's got a good incoming class coming in next year. So there's, there's optimism about that. The way you've seen some of these guys kind of progress, you know, the Jim Bickett and Blair, for example, you know, those two are two of his first recruits right there. And they just both surpassed a thousand points scoring. Um, so that's, there's, there's examples of things that have gone well, but then there was that stretch of, you know, the big transfers kind of depends on how you looked at it, you know, cause they kind of got in some trouble off the court. Now there's a, there's ways to kind of, um, look at, should have been handled differently. Does, does that reflect on the guys that he brought in? Uh, all, all of these things, you know, when off the stuff, um, off the court stuff kind of happens, but I think there's a faith in Patrick that um, that he runs a clean program, that he's getting things going back in the right direction. But yeah, it was a weird offseason. It wasn't a good offseason. And there was clearly some miscommunication with the whole Mac McClung situation because um, it seemed like, you know, he was just he was just testing the NBA waters and Patrick somehow thought he was coming back. And then and then Mac took it personally that hey, you are messing up my NBA prospects, even though it probably wasn't going to go that way anyways. But you know how this stuff works out? And no, it doesn't look great on paper, but I think, um, I don't think there's any, I don't think anybody's um, panicking over over in um, Georgetown yet. You know, I, I like myself some Mac McClung as much as I can like any opposing player, but he, if he thinks he's making the NBA, I, I I got a paycheck that says he's not. But moving on with that, you know, <laughs> what's surprising is that the results on the court haven't really hurt Coach Ewing on the recruiting trail of all things. Like you've said, mm-hmm. he's landed what is ranked as the 11th best recruiting class coming in next year. And mm-hmm. more importantly, it, uh, Georgetown had the opportunity to land its most highly touted roots uh, hoops recruit in more than a decade with yeah. five-star recruit Aminu Muhammad, who was the 16th overall ranked player in the class of 2021. Mm-hmm. Even though it seems like Patrick's getting a little latitude because of his recruiting efforts and that he's the Georgetown legend, that didn't help JT3 that much either when they started <laughs> deciding he wasn't producing. So... 
in reality, man, how many more years do you think can Patrick go without actually having some serious success? Like I said, I think he's got a long leash. I think he's got a long leash. I mean, I think if, if next year is just like an apoplectic things, just, you know, everything falls apart and things don't go, you know, are, are just a disastrous situation next year, you know, maybe they start thinking, but I, I think he's got, I've got, I think he's got some room. I think he's got some leash. Like you said, you know, he's bringing in this class and you also have to remember, you know, this was, this is his first time doing this. You know, I think that they're going to also keep that in mind is that the fact that he's still growing and finding himself as a head coach. He's never done it. He's just never done it, you know? So I, and, and everybody knew that coming in. So you got to give a guy a little bit of latitude in to kind of, you know, find himself and find his voice as a coach. I mean, I, you know, I think he's found his voice and things like that, but you know, again, I think they're just going to be some latitude, especially between knowing he was coming in, doing this for the first time, especially when recruiting goes well, you get more latitude there because you're bringing in the guys, you know, you're, you're, you hope that the on-court product eventually catches up. And it typically does if you're bringing in talent, if you're bringing in talent at that level, um, you know, we all know when it comes to college athletics, you know, it's, it's about the Jimmy and Jimmy's and Joe's. You got to get them in. And again, he's Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing at Georgetown is going to get some latitude. Uh, Chris Mullen got some latitude. That didn't last so long either. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I think Patrick coming. Chris Mullen didn't win himself any national titles at St. John's. Okay, Mikey. To me, there's also a difference, right? You know, Patrick was an assistant in the NBA. He's got some coaching pedigree. Mullen, Mullen really didn't. It was more of like a figurehead type move at that point. All right, right, let's let's stick with Georgetown here. So, (laughs) speaking of the talent, you know, we, we mentioned Javon Blair a little bit, but. He has really increased his scoring production this year. You know, he's up from 10 points a game last year to 17 a game currently. But there have been some critics who would basically say his overall offensive efficiency numbers really haven't improved versus his junior campaign. You know, he's still shooting under 40% from the floor and under 34% from three. Whereas the other side, you know, the critics might defend him and say, well, that's because he's being asked to log a team high 37.4 minutes per game. That's kind of crazy, right? What I find interesting is what he's doing, distributing the basketball of late. Yep. You know, over his last six games, he's averaged six and a half assists per contest. And this is coming from a guy who only reached six assists in one game in his first three and a half seasons prior. So what the heck have you seen from Blair that has allowed him to evolve his game out of nowhere? As far as this season, he's shown spurts of that. Like even going back during the bad stretches early, in the, it, it's been all about consistency, um, especially for these seniors. You know, you, you've seen it, but again, you know, he had nine turn. I do believe he had nine turnovers last night. So it, it's these spurts. He's been asked to do so much, number one, especially when this team was struggling earlier and nobody else could put the ball in the basket. And, you know, everybody else was kind of just going one-on-one. There were stretches of times where he was just asked to completely carry the load, which he was able to, which he's been able to do admirably. If I'm starting my scouting report and deciding, okay, who who do we have to pay extra attention to? It's starting with him because he's by far, he's got the ball in his hands most of the time. He, he He's running everything. He's on the floor the most. He's Ewing's most trusted guy out there. I think it's just better decision-making, again, and those games that he has the six assists, I think he does it well, and those games where he's throwing the ball out of bounds because nobody's there, that's when he doesn't do it so well. His consistency has started to improve, and I think that's also 
with him not trying to do so much. I think when they're down and they've lost those five games straight, which second longest of Ewing's tenure, they get down and all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to say he kind of goes into savior mode, but it's almost like, I feel like he feels a responsibility to try to shoot them back into games sometimes. And, and that's when that's when it can get ugly and or sometimes you know sometimes he does shoot him back into the game. It's just a tough role for him because I think in the beginning of the season he wasn't getting a lot of help offensively, and I think recently he has, and I think that's why you see some of those assist numbers going up. Is that I don't think he's drastically changed his game. I just think guys have been doing more with it. They've, they've gotten out and transitioned better. So, you know, you pick up some easy assists right there. And again, when, when Jamarco's hitting his shots, he gets a ton of shots coming from Blair. So when he's scoring, that's obviously going to kick in a couple more assists for um, Javon. I think when he gets in trouble is when he tries to do too much and feel like, oh, you know, nobody else is doing anything. I got to pull every, this whole team by myself. But I think when he kind of is patient and stays within themselves and, you know, takes the open shots, moves the ball when he's supposed to, and when shoot for when his teammates are actually putting the ball in the basket, I think it helps everybody. But I don't think it's been a dramatic change of what he's doing on the floor. It's just been a little bit more consistency, a little bit more playing under control. Well, you know, Blair's not been the only contributor. You already mentioned senior forward Jamarco Pickett, who's got a 12 and 8.6 uh, averages for the season. Also, sophomore center uh, Cutis Wahab is at 11.7 and 7.8. But what's really been interesting, again, when we come back to this pre-COVID pause, post-COVID pause, <laughs> has been the play of senior forward Chudir Bilay, who... For the seasons going 8.6 and 4.5, but he's absolutely been balling since the pause has been over. He's been yep. averaging 14.2 points per game and six rebounds. What has been the difference in Belay's game since its restart? I think it's confidence, to be honest. And Patrick even said, you know, this is the guy I was recruiting. This is the guy I brought in here. Like, I don't know what that first half of the season was. He seemed to press. I don't know if it wasn't, I don't know if he believed he was getting enough opportunities because he was coming off the bench. And I don't know if he wasn't kind of finding himself in the flow of things, but since he's come out and, you know, we, sometimes you can see it on a guy when he kind of catches the ball and he knows exactly what he wants to do. And he, you know, he has those two dribbles, goes into his move and is confident in what he's doing. He seems like he's doing that a lot more, that he knows what he wants to do when the ball is swung his way. He's been a more aggressive, you know, crashing to the boards. And and that's the thing is he's he's a big, strong, long kid. And so I don't think he was playing very physical early, early in the season. I think that's definitely picked up in the last couple of games. I think that's where you see kind of the uptick in rebounds. He's confidently shooting the shot, but then he's crashing the boards following his shot and getting up, you know, a couple of easy offensive rebounds, things like that. It looks like he and kind of Patrick sat down and, and, and maybe, and I know they've all kind of had conversations about this all year long, but it seems like he finally believes that, hey, I can go out and play and be myself and be aggressive and not worry about either getting a quick hook or getting shouted at, or, or it just seems like he's not playing with as, as much worry as there was before. It just seems like he's more 
free and confident and, and, and going at it. And that's really what it's been. One more question for you, Kareem. So normally this is the point where we'll ask our guests, you know, what's the most interesting matchup that they see. And naturally they're going to kind of gravitate towards something that involves Sandro Mamukelashvili relative to being Seton Hall's best player. But I want to go in a different direction this time. At the, the first game between these two teams, Ike Obiagu had his best game of the season on the defensive end. He grabbed nine boards, had nine blocked shots as well, and the Georgetown players looked visibly rattled when they were trying to attack the rim. So, But, but however, I, I, I find this to be an interesting stat. When Georgetown attempts 17 or more free throws in a game this year, they're five and two. So is this a thing to watch the rematch here? Or how, how the Hoyers are going to react to Obiago in the middle? Well, certainly. I mean, if somebody gets nine blocks on you, you're going to think twice before <laughs> going in there just free willing. So I would I would definitely think so. But I, I, that is a huge part of this team's success is, you know, they want to work inside out. And, and when Wahab is in there getting deep touches and, and getting to the line and when guys are – um, driving on, in transition and getting fouled in transition, that's when they are at their best. They want to go inside out. Uh, Something, you know, almost kind of what I was referencing earlier, almost the, the loss against Creighton. They just start doing one-on-one and everybody just shooting jump shots from all over the place. Um, that's when they're at their worst. So it'll definitely be interesting, I think, to, to see how they, what tweaks they make. Because again, you know, if someone blocks nine shots, you know, I, it's got to be in your head, right? It's just got to be in your head. It's got to be in your head. Every time you go in there, I mean, shoot, that's what, you know, I watched Rudy Gobert for three years. That's what those guys do. After after you get your stuff tossed a couple times in the stands, <laughs> you start thinking. You see guys come in, and, and instead of just going in with that little floater that they usually do, they hesitate, and they're starting to kick out. And 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 that alters everything when that's, when that's what you do best. So it'll definitely be interesting, but I, I think they're going to try, you know, it's almost one of those things where um, when somebody does something to you the first time or takes something away, you want to come back and prove, yo, we can do this and we're not, you know, we're not going to back down the kind of a thing. So that's, I would expect them to come in and try to pound it um, again, just because that's who they are. And if they decide to work outside in first, that's just, it, it doesn't play to their strengths. They're already, you know, behind the eight ball if they do, if they try to go that route. All right, Kareem, we're going to put you on the hot seat right now. We want to find out what you think here. Will the Hoyas come out on top or are the Pirates going to send them home unhappy? I'm not great at predictions, but if they (laughs) feel like they've been playing the last couple games, I think they should have the advantage, especially playing at home, especially the way Gilead has been playing. If they can stay in, again, it all comes down to turnovers. If they can limit the turnovers, play like they've been playing, stay patient on offense, you know, not get nine shots blocked. They should be pretty good, <laughs> especially at home. They've been playing well at home since um, since the break. So um, that's leaning in that direction. But again, I'm not I'm not good on the. That sounds like a Georgetown prediction to me. I don't know. You know, Kareem, uh, if you I'm not a prediction decide... guy, but if they take care of those areas, they should um, have the opportunity to uh, pick up another one. If you ever decide to give up this sports writing thing, Kareem, I think we see a future in, in, in politics? politics for you. Because, <laughs> man, flip that, flop, little flip dancing because you tiptoed around that question <laughs> real nice. 
Never commit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kareem, we can't thank you enough for coming on, spending some time with us. We really appreciate you. Take care of yourself down in D.C. No problem. Anytime. It's been a good time. I appreciate you guys having me. Um, we'll do it again. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Kareem Copeland, everybody. All right, Mike, we just talked to Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post about the Georgetown Hoya game. We have another game in the week. We played the DePaul Blue Demons. And you know what, Mike? With all due respect to our friend Dan Stack, I'm not sure there's a whole lot to talk about here. They are dead last again in the Big East. They're 3-9 and nine with a 1-9 and nine record in the Big East. They are 2-6 and six since the last time the Pirates beat them. Most recently, they lost Saturday to Providence at home, 57-47, to 47, and it was not pretty. They shot 30% for the game, 13 turnovers, didn't share the ball, only 7 assists. Their starting five put in 23 points, Michael. Charlie Moore didn't play due to a knee injury. Those, those turnover numbers could have been even higher if he did. Mike, one of those two wins that they had since we played them was against Valpo for crying out loud. I'm sure our old Seton Hall friend, Eron Gordon, starting for them didn't help DePaul's cause at all. It is ugly. I don't think we need to talk about this too much. Tom, you, you want a funny story? I'm sitting there typing up my notes and I'm going to go back to my son again. He's sitting there next to me and he's starting to get into this now, right? He's starting to, he's following the, the Villanova Creighton game and oh man, Creighton stuck at the Villanova. That, that, that hurt him a lot. Watching them just drop daggers one after the next, but he's watching me type my notes and he's like, Seton Hall plays DePaul next week. And he's like, yeah. He's like, who did they beat? I'm like, well, they beat Marquette. They, like Marquette lost to DePaul. <laughs> really? There's an eight-year-old that he's already banging on DePaul here. Well, you know, Mike, there's not a whole lot of positivity there, man. What can we talk about that's positive? Maybe Javon Liberty Freeman, who's leading them in scoring. He's he's averaging a 14 points per game, 5.5 boards, 3.1 assists. And he had a stellar game against us last. It was 22-4-4. If Charlie Moore ends up playing. But, I mean, Charlie Moore is Charlie Moore. He's averaging four assists. And he's also averaging 3.3 turnovers a game. Shooting under 40% from the field and under 35% from three. I'm not impressed. Yeah, this is, this is not a team that you're going to break down statistically and, and try to be scared about something on paper. When you watch this team play... They just don't play an efficient brand of basketball. You question their shot selection. You question kind of how Charlie Moore doesn't know how to control the game at times with his, you know, his high usage rate, his, his shot selection, the turnovers that he commits. You know, and that, and that kind of starts from the top. I mean, if, if you got Charlie leading the way and, and that's the way they've been run by him for the last couple of years, that kind of trickles down to the rest of the team. Uh, they really do miss a, a Paul Reed kind of balancing their front court and giving them a competitive advantage, you know, with the production that he was giving them last year. And they were hoping that a guy like sophomore Romeo Weems was really going to take that next step. You know, here's a guy who was a four-star recruit, you know, people considered to him to have kind of an underwhelming freshman year, yet he still tests the draft water like, like everybody else does. And then, then, you know, maybe he's a second round guy. They said, so he comes back. Sure. Tom, his stats are identical to what he did his freshman season. And in his first meeting against Seton Hall, yeah, he had eight points and eight rebounds, but he shot three of 10. It's just, it's kind of in line with what the rest of their team does relative to that efficiency. And if, if you want to get like disgusted over numbers, let me, let me throw you a couple more numbers here. 
their team stats. They're just not good. And I'm going to give you the national ranks here. Team field goal percentage, 257. Three-point field goal percentage, 277. Free throws, 308. Assists, they rank 201. Points per game, 261. This is like low major Southland conference type stuff. But Tom, they, they rank 33rd in turnovers. They, they have that many turnovers committed per game, 15.7. That's not, the, that's not the category you want to be at the top of the list for. It, this is not a good team. You know, Mike, Paul Reed, Schmall Reed, with all, you know, all due respect to Paul Reed and his game, what's he going to, what was he going to do? Win them a game or two more? This team has been bad. It's been bad every year. I don't understand how they keep getting that's good recruiting. They that's are bad fair. in and out. I don't understand how they keep the coach. I don't understand how they keep getting good recruiting classes. This game, they need to blow the doors off this game and keep moving on. The poll had a 7-11 and season two years ago. They tied like five-way tie for eighth place. Come on, you forgot? <laughs> don't, don't, don't kind of, you know, poo-poo that year for them. Poo-poo. No, look, they are a Ken Palm 129. They are a Net Metrics 175. This is the definition of a horrendous loss at home if you lose to this team. Bottom line. Tommy, normally we're now at the part where you want to ask me about what my predictions are after we've gone behind enemy lines and after we've broken down the other opponent for the week. But I would be remiss if we ignored pandemic pandemonium this week because we're trending to the point right now where if Seton Hall gets these two wins on the schedule this week, fans are going to start talking about, hey, we're, we're in strong bubble position. We're coming down the home stretches. Only a couple more weeks to go before the Big East tournament. Let's start talking about the dance. But the reality is this, this COVID-19 is not going away. Jeff Goodman puts out a tweet earlier in the week that states that he polled 37 likely at-large teams anonymously to find out how many scholarship players have tested positive for COVID-19. And the results that he got back were the following. 241 out of 464 players, 53% have tested positive thus far. One of the 37 teams have not had any positives, but one also had all 13 players test positive. The common thought process going forward is that if a team had a positive test while inside, you know, it's not even really going to be a bubble, but while at, in Indianapolis at the, at the big dance, that your team could be ending their season due to COVID-19 protocol that we've seen throughout the year. And then a couple of days later, Dan Gavitt, comes out on that like special early projection top four seed show that CBS did. And he completely goes in a different direction. He says, we have procedures and protocols in place that should not eliminate teams from the entirety of the tournament. As long as they're maintaining that physical distancing and wearing masks, the teams should be able to move on safely. We will contact trace and isolate that individual, but it should not eliminate a team. So wait a minute, it's now acceptable as an approach to not take a team off the floor because it's the NCAA tournament, but we couldn't have done that or adapted this type of strategy throughout the entire regular season. We couldn't have been advised of this by the NCAA and Dan Gavin at any other point prior to this. You got teams going on a COVID pause for 14 days because the team manager got the COVID. Tom. Tom, this is pure BS, Tom. First of all, I want to say that 
Nice way of putting in this special top four seeds by CBS. They weren't going to get caught with their pants around their ankles like they did last year. You're going to tell me that they wouldn't have wanted to sneak in a special selection Sunday show before they canceled the tournament altogether. Good job, CBS. Make sure you make that money. And I'll tell you this, Mike. I think Dan Gavitt's talking out both sides of his mouth. I'm not calling him a liar here. I'm not saying he's got ulterior motives. I got a feeling guy test positive on a team in that bubble. That team doesn't play, Mike. I think he's saying, well, as long as they physically distance and wear those masks and blah, blah, blah. Nonsense. They're gone. Yeah, I, it just we're, we're getting closer now. And all we're asking is as the time has gone by, continue to work on giving us definitive directions. Have a plan of attack. That sounds pretty wishy-washy still. I, I don't uh, buy it. I don't buy it. You know, they're going to come back and say, well, we had to send them home because they didn't have physical distancing and we saw that they weren't wearing masks, blah, 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 blah. It's nonsense, Mike. Teams are going home. They want to say this right now so they don't seem like there's going to be a whole swath of, of potential your bracket's just gone because teams are being sent home. I mean, Kevin Willard was also telling you on that Laughlin podcast interview that they're in the film rooms together. They're isolating as a team. So, yes, they're in a bubble, but they're in a bubble amongst themselves. So if one guy tests positive, how are you not having close contact traces where the other guys are now going to be okay? I'm just – I'm not buying any of this. I'm really not. Let, let's not end this on a, on a negative. Let's look at this as a positive – Let's talk about next week and what the predictions are. Kareem Copeland kind of picked Georgetown to win the game. What do you think next week? What happens against the Hoyas and the Blue Demons? I think it's a 2-0 week for Seton Hall, but it's not an easy 2-0 week. I mean, uh, they, they should take care of business against the Paul. I, I think they're going to kind of look at the film. Maybe they don't look at the film, I don't know, from this Marquette game, but I think Kevin uses this as an opportunity to bounce back come out stronger, uh, possibly Charlie Moore doesn't play again. You know, they're an inferior team, this DePaul team. I think they come out at home, they step on their throats, they run them out of the building potentially, and, and they get an easy win. Then you got to travel on the road. And I understand the road is not the same as it is with fans. And I know Seton Hall has played well on the road, but this is a Georgetown team with a little more confidence than what we would have evaluated them earlier in the season, you know, in, in terms of being competitive on the floor. I mean, that, that Georgetown game, the final score was closer than it really was. We had them down by 17 most of that game. This is not the same Georgetown team. So I, I think they beat them. But, Tom, I, I think it's going to be more of a nail-biter than you realize. You know, again, I agree with you, Mike. I think we're going 2-0 this week. I say we beat the pants off the Paul. Don't even try to hold up the score. If you can beat them by 40, beat them by 40. Get that game out of the way. When we get to D.C., I'll tell you this. We've seen this Georgetown team play better since they got off the pause. I think we match up really well with this team, and I think we're going to end up winning it. I don't know that we're going to blow the doors off of them like I think we're going to do to DePaul, but I think we get a W as well. Let me ask you this. It feels like it should be 2-0. You want it to be 2-0. They need it to be 2-0. How are you going to feel if they let one of these slip up? That's where you were trying to go earlier in the show. They, they really can't afford to slip up on one of these opportunities. There, There is no margin for error with this team. You have to beat the teams 
that you're supposed to beat at this point. You can't slip up against anybody anymore. You know, what? what's the toughest game left on this schedule, Mike? It's got to be UConn, no? Eh, debatable. I mean, you have UConn at home. It depends if Book Knight's back. One could make the argument. I know St. John's uh, just lost their last time out, but St. John's has been hot, and you got to go into you know their little band box of a gym. That that could be the toughest game on the schedule. Supposedly, Book Knight was doing windmill dunks in the layup line before this last game. I know we didn't play, but if he's doing windmill dunks in the layup line, he's not that far. You say you don't want to play the TMZ cards. I'm telling you, Book Knight might be thinking NBA and let's not hurt our draft stock and re-injure the elbow. There's there's some other rumors behind the scenes in their camp. So uh, when we get to that game, we'll see if he plays. Oh, man. Entertainment tonight over here with Mike Desiri. I'm telling you. Anyhow, Mike, I'm glad we're not in a bye week. I'm glad that come Wednesday we're going to have some Seton Hall basketball to watch. I'm glad that Saturday we'll also see them because I'm going to be on my couch screaming, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 